Uh, open your Bibles, please, to First uh, Timothy chapter three. First Timothy chapter three, verses one through thirteen, uh, uh, will be our key text today. First Timothy three, verses one through thirteen, and uh, we begin uh, our sermon series uh, a month or so ago. My true child: instructions for the church from First Timothy, where the apostle Paul, as a mentor. Um, and a father in the ministry is writing his not biological son, but his spiritual son, Timothy, and giving him advice for how Timothy should live, but also how the church should work. And our topic today is the role of church leaders. And it's really more than the role of church leaders, but talking about pastors and deacons. Now, I'm a pastor, so I'm not going to tell any stories on pastors, uh, because I'm the pastor and I have the pulpit, I'll tell you a story or two on deacons, because you can imagine in my, um, how many years have I been a pastor now? My first pastor job was summer of 89, so 29 years that I've been a vocational pastor. That makes me sound old, doesn't it? That was when I was 19. Um, I've got a few stories on deacons, Okay. But I'll tell you just a few of my favorite real quick. Um, You know, there was one time I was knocking doors with one of my deacons in a neighborhood near the church. And a gentleman opened the door, kind of had a gruff look on his face. And I had the deacon beside me, you know, and we're standing there smiling like we should. And I stuck out my hand to shake his hand. And I said, hi, I'm Brother Aaron Householder. I'm the pastor of the church down the street or the Baptist church down the street. And the gentleman says, I'm Methodist. And closes the door. My deacon says, well, Brother Aaron, you reckon if we'd have said we was Methodist, he'd have said he's a Baptist and still slammed the door on us? I said, you're probably right, Brother Travis. Now, is that same deacon, Travis Furtick, at my church in Texas. You know, when we baptize people, we put the white robe on them and we ask them, uh, you know, to wear a bathing suit and some other, or some other clothes underneath there. Just because, you know, those white robes, when they stick to you, they still show things and we want to protect modesty. Well, one young man showed up with a swim trunks. They were the super long kind of swim trunks. They were like black on top with flames coming up from the knees. (laughs) Travis didn't see him get dressed. So, you know, he's got the robe on. The robe's down to about here. Travis can't see that. But Travis is back there helping out with the baptistry. So the young man goes down in the water dry. We baptize him all the way down. He comes up wet. And that white robe is stuck to his legs. And you can see those flames coming up his legs. <laughs> Travis says to me, Brother Aaron, weren't we supposed to be saving him from the fires of hell? I got a few more Travis stories because he was that kind of funny. Now, I'm going to have to tell him I told some stories on him so he can listen to this podcast. But my favorite, well, maybe not my favorite. I got a bunch of Deacon stories, y'all. Is when I went on visitation with my brother, Russ Trask. Russ was a Dallas police officer, and we're in our little town of Venus, Texas. But we're on visitation one night, and we're rolling into the south side of town, and you can see one of our local police officers has some bad guys he's talking to uh, at the edge of town there. And just as we get close, the two bad guys go opposite directions, one through town, one out across a field. Well, Russell, the Dallas police officer, he's in the passenger seat. I'm driving my little old Saturn, right? Goes into police officer mode. Go, 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 go. Get him, get him, get him. So I'm driving as fast as I can. He says, turn here, cut him off. He says, stop here, let me out. I let him out. He runs off after this guy across the field. He says, you go that way and cut him off. So I'm like, I'm like, cops, bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? 
I mean, I was the police chaplain. I had a badge. I had a radio. You know, I'd been on some police calls before, but this was live during deacon visitation, right? Here's the funny part of that story. I stop where I'm supposed to stop to cut the bad guy off, you know, making a 90 degree. Russ is chasing after him. Russ stops the guy and is standing over him with his hands like this. On the ground, on the ground, police, freeze. And I walk up and I start laughing at Russell. I said, Russ, what are you doing? He says, well, I've got him in a submissive position until the officer can get here. I said, look at your hands. He didn't really have a gun. He just had his hands just like this. Now, those are just a couple funny stories about deacons, two of my dear friends at my church in Texas. But let me tell you, we've got some amazing deacons here, and I'm not going to tell any stories on them. They get off the hook. So, okay, deacons, yeah, and maybe they'll be nice and not tell any stories on me, right? But what Scripture talks to us about, more so than really the role of deacons, and certainly not telling humorous stories of deacons, is the qualification of church leaders. And that's what we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-13. through 13. I knew I had the wrong word earlier in my introduction there when I said role. It's the qualifications of these men. Now, I want us to look at our Scripture memory verse for the month first. Scripture memory verse for the month is uh, coming up in our sermon next week, I believe, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let's say it together. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, because you're old, because you're uneducated. Because you're normal, because you can't talk good. Don't let anyone look down on you for anything that you can't change. But set an example in your character. And your behavior that flows from your character is what Paul tells Timothy there in chapter 4 verse 12 that we'll get to next week. But this week, if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you stand with me? And we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 13. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited or fall under the devil's same judgment as the devil. He must be the devil's trap. Good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Verse 8, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested And then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Verse 12, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
God, our Father, as we open your word, we pray that every time we gather together, you'd also open our understanding. That we would learn what it is you'd have us to learn about who you've called to serve us and to lead us in our church family. So, Father, speak to us now by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So you're going to want to keep a marker there in 1 Timothy 3 because we're coming back. But I want to ask you to turn your attention for the first point of our sermon to 1 Peter chapter 5. So uh, turn a few pages to the right in your Bibles, get through Hebrews and James, and get to 1 Peter chapter 5. Because the first point we need to make today is about the role of pastors. We're going to get to the qualifications here. But the first major point is the role of pastors, and Richard will get that up on the screen for us, and that's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now, let me read this to you, and then uh, we'll go back and explain it. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed." Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be not eager, greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples for the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you also will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, there's a couple Greek words here that we need to pay attention to. And there are other passages of Scripture that I can reference for you that you might want to write down real quick. Uh, That's Acts chapter 20, verse 17. So I'll just put that up here. Let's see. I brought my Acts chapter 20, and I'm just abbreviating it short. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and verse 28 of Acts chapter 20 where you see interchangeably used uh, the term for elder, overseer, and pastor. Then Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11 names the different roles in the church that some churches see as officers. And then you've got 1 Timothy 3.1-7. through 7. Uh, Titus 1, 5 through 5-9. Titus 1, 5-9 also talks about the qualifications of an elder... And then you've got 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 that we're talking about here. So notice the nouns here, but there's also more than just the nouns, but the verb form of things. You notice in verse 1, it says, To the elders among you. To the elders among you. The elders is the Greek word presbyteros. So elder in Greek is presbyteros. So that's actually where we get our word Presbyterian from, right? Uh, You actually pronounce that Y as a U in Greek, and so it's presbyteros, and that's in verse 1. But notice then, it also says in verse 2, to the shepherds among you. That's where we get our word pastor from. Literally means that in its men is uh, the word. Doesn't, we don't get any English word from that. And so then notice at the end of verse 2, you see the word there that's translated as overseer. 
overseer is episkopos. Kind of sounds like episcopal because it is. That's where they get their idea of their uh, form of church government. So why I show you this passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, is to show you that all three of these terms are used interchangeably for one person. All three of the terms are used interchangeably for one person. Go back and read it again carefully. To the elders among you, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, as a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who uh, revealed, be shepherds, so pastor, your flock that is under your cares as overseers. And then notice again in verse 4, he says, And the chief shepherd, Jesus, appears, you will receive a crown of glory. So these passages of Scripture above, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, teach us that in the New Testament, Paul in particular, but the other New Testament writers follow suit with Paul in teaching you, and I just erased Elder and Presbyteros, shame on me, that these terms are used interchangeably. So here's what you would learn from this, though, in the way we understand it. A little Venn diagram here. If the big circle is elder, then here's the way we practice it. And there's a smaller circle within it that's pastor. That all pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors. Because in the practicality of the way this role of presbyteros, elder, works out in the New Testament, if we were to do a sermon just on this role, you would see that there are elders that have authority and lead or manage, and then there are elders that also teach or preach and shepherd as pastors. So all pastors are elders, but not all elders are pastors is our quick and easy diagram there. So this is an understanding of the role that all elders should be able to teach and all elders should have authority. And we get that from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, our sermon from last week. So the primary distinctive of an elder is that they teach and they exercise authority. And so... Just want you to see that as we talk about the role of elders to teach and have authority and that pastors are a type of elder. So let's move ahead to the qualifications of pastors. The qualifications of pastors, and I could use the word interchangeably elders, uh, are listed for us here in verses 2 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And again, if I were to use uh, Titus, you'd see that in chapter 1, uh, verses 5 through 9. So Titus, Paul is writing to another one of his uh, protégés in the ministry, named Titus, obviously, and telling him how to lead. But notice here, verse 2. Now the overseer, so that's episkopos, but that all, we understand that to mean pastor for us, must be above reproach. The first thing we notice there by means of introduction is that the pastor must be above reproach. Approach means to bring blame, shame, or disgrace. So in other words, the character of and the outworking of that character as a pastor should not bring blame, shame, or disgrace. And there's been much made of this next phrase as well. The husband of but one wife. 
The literal Greek translation is a one-woman man. And so you think about it in being a one-woman man. You could have a man who has been married to one woman all his life, but because of his addictions to things he shouldn't be addicted to, he might not be a one-woman man. Amen? And his character could demonstrate other than that. And so some of us has used this as a litmus test of saying, well, a pastor shouldn't be divorced or a deacon shouldn't be divorced. I would say pay very close attention to what the Greek means. And what it says is one woman man. It doesn't say married once and only. It says a one woman man married faithfully to one woman at one time and faithful in his relationship with her is the way I would understand that. But as we go on, we see the qualifications. And the first one is a strong character above reproach. A strong character above reproach that a pastor should have a character of the type that other people would say, this guy is a different guy. In the way he conducts himself, he stands above the average Joe. He's strong in his character. Obviously, that's not just a call for pastors, as any of these are, but you can see for all Christ followers a call in the New Testament to have character of Christ that sets itself apart from lawless, sinful people in the world. Now, the second characteristic or qualification of a pastor is to have helpful habits. Growing from his character, he should have some habits that are helpful in the way he serves and loves others. Look at verse 3 there again. Well, we need to go on. uh, So, um, uh, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, not given... uh, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So using these negatives, the Apostle Paul says, this is the way this guy should live. That the outworking of his character should be one that everybody recognizes him as different and set apart. The third point, as far as a qualification of a pastor coming from verse 4 and 5, is that he should have a healthy home. Now, I just wrote with wife and children, but please know that nowhere does the New Testament disqualify a pastor who's never been married or a pastor who is not currently married. But the example is that if a man is married and if a man does have children, that that man should then have a wife and a children. Well, let's see what Scripture says. He must, verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's the rhetorical question in verse 5. But this idea of managing and governing his children... And proper respect is an element of dignity. That the way that the pastor cares for his family is reflected in the way that they respect and care for him. And you ought to see that in their life. And so there should be a healthy home in a pastor. So strong character, helpful habits, a healthy home. Let's move on to our fourth qualification for a pastor. The fourth qualification is genuine experience. Not a new convert. Now you and I know, and you've probably seen guys before, that they get saved, and very quickly after they are saved, you see some evidence in their life because of the spiritual gifts God has given them and the personality and all the things about them, and you think, man, God could be calling this guy to be a pastor because this guy is gifted and this guy is persuasive and other people follow this guy or all the other things that we would look for in a pastor. But note verse 6, he must not be a recent convert 
or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Become conceited, that Greek phrase literally means to wrap in smoke, to be clouded. And you've met people like that before. That either they just walk around like they're in their own world and you just got invited to it, right? Or at certain times in certain situations, something happens and it seems like they get a little puffed up with themselves. And they're living in their own world and maybe you're welcome, maybe not. But then that phrase about that same judgment as the devil, there's various interpretations of that, but the context seems to be a warning against pride. What Paul is saying in verse 6, when he, I use the idea of a genuine experience, not a new convert, is that you don't want to ordain a guy too quickly. You want to give time for some things to happen in his life, to challenge his character, to reveal his character, to test and refine his character, lest he become conceited and prideful because he's ordained too quickly as a pastor. I would imagine if you've been a believer long enough and been in enough churches, you've probably seen some guys that shouldn't have been ordained as pastors or shouldn't have been ordained that quickly, and they needed that experience. Now, the fifth and final point on the qualifications for a pastor is a good reputation among others. A good reputation among others. Verse 7 there. He must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Again, he could become conceited or, or excuse me, certain pastors because of their role and because of their lack of character might be conceited in the way they lorded over folks. And who's going to sniff that out quicker than anybody? Somebody who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. Somebody who's looking critically and thinking about what a believer in Jesus should behave like. And so that pastor may bring judgment on himself and on others. So these are the qualifications of the pastor that Paul talks about here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Now let's shift gears. That's a pastor, but what's the other office, as we would call it, in the New Testament? And the other office, as we would refer to it, is uh, the role is deacons. So we're going to talk now about the role of deacons. Now there are many gifts of the ministry named in the New Testament. And some churches recognize various offices. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, uh, deacon. But the reason we as Southern Baptists focus on just two offices is their indication in the New Testament that those uh, that fulfill those roles were ordained to those roles. The Greek word in Acts chapter 6 that says set aside literally means put your hands on them and set them apart. So when we ordain a pastor, when we ordain a deacon, we put our hands on them and pray so that we're physically doing what the Greek says, but we're also symbolically doing what the Greek says, and that's Acts chapter 6. So if you haven't turned over there already, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. You're going to want to go to the left in your Bible, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and we see about the role of deacons. So uh, a lot describing the situation, but if you pay attention, you'll hear why deacons were called out and set aside with the laying on of hands. In those days, this is the very beginning days of the church, the disciples, the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews, so those Jewish people of Greek descent, among them complained that the Hebraic Jews, the Jews of Hebrew or Jewish descent, uh, um, biologically, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. 
So it was really a form of racism within the church, right? Or maybe it was just, well, I know these folks better. They speak my language, or I'm, uh, this is my aunt, and that one, she goes to my church, but I don't really know her well. We don't know the reason, but they complain. Verse 2, so the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. So you get an idea of what pastors should do. Pastors should preach. Pastors should teach. They minister the Word of God to others. But verse 3, Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Men, we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Again, you see, what should pastors do? Pray and minister the Word. What are the deacons supposed to do? They're supposed to serve in a practical way. Now, the word deacon is not used here in Acts chapter 6. But what you see later from Acts is these men set aside are referred to as deacons. So you know that's what they're talking about here. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The NIV 84 that I'm reading for has that literal translation. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Because the... Deacons were able to serve, the pastors were able to pray and to teach uh, God's Word, and the church grew is what it's saying. Isn't that amazing when we look at what happens when we follow God's Word? Now, why did they choose seven? We don't know. Seven's a biblical number. Is seven about the number they thought they needed? Well, we have nine active deacons now. We've had fewer, we've had more, uh, based on the size of our church. But let me just tell you quickly uh, and forgive me for not having this on the screen, but if you want to see it, I can email you the page uh, about how our church is led because we've talked so far about the role of pastors and the role of deacons. But here at Southview, we do have pastors. Pastor David and I are the only pastors here, so we're the only guys that are ordained as elders in this church. But our leadership structure, we've decided to have three ways that our church is served. One is by our church council. And our church council's job is administration. Their job is to create an environment to grow Christ followers. And on our church council, we have seven individuals. And I'm just going to call them out. And if you're here, stand up, okay? Uh, so we've got Larry Zimmerman is our chair. Go ahead and stand up, Larry. Carl Brown is on there as well. Uh, Ms. Kay Feiken, Sandy Hansen, me, Linda Nettleton, and Pamela Schmidt. So you see our church council tends to sit on this side. What's up with you guys, okay? So thanks to them. Uh, then we also have a ministry leadership team. Our ministry leadership team is literally comprised of the leaders of ministries, and they lead the process of growing Christ followers. So again, if you're here, would you stand up? Sandy Hansen, our WANA commander. Jessica Smith, our children's director. David Chatwell, uh, students and discipleship. Dave Hegberg, men's ministry. Uh, Mary Zimmerman, women's ministry. Larry Zimmerman is our church council chair. Myra Bowden for worship, of course. Silvana Aaron, our Easter pageant chair, is not here today, still feeling ill. Megan Clark, vacation Bible school. She's probably running around doing something. She's here. She's back there. Okay. Megan's sitting still for once here. <laughs> Chris Dejabay, uh that takes care of our tech. Mark Bogan, our mission. And Ryan Cole, our deacon chair. So that's all those folks. All right. So let's have them be seated. And then our deacons. The job of a deacon is to serve the church. And they serve that others might grow in as Christ followers. 
And so uh, let me name them off, the nine active deacons. Right now, again, you got Ryan Cole, our deacon chair. Chris Dejabay, our deacon secretary. Mike Brady's back there. Dan Clark is over here by his wife, I assume. Jason Downs over here. Uh, if you're not in your normal spot, we're in trouble. Jason Nettleton's over here. J.L. Schmidt's back here. Richard Smith back in the back. And Gerald Walter. Those are our nine active deacons right now. And they're responding. And you guys can be seated. The responsibilities of our deacons, as we've determined and decided best for us at this point, is to meet the needs of assigned families. We have deacon family ministries. And so you should occasionally hear from them with, hey, how are you? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? They also serve the church in any other way as gifted, through committees, through ministries, through teaching roles. They also fulfill other deacon ministry roles, determining benevolence for the church, making visits for the church, special projects, as well as hospital and nursing home visits. And then they just love their assigned families through their regular contact. So that's how our deacons function. But let's come very quickly to the qualifications of deacons. The first one is that they should have strong character. Strong character. They should be worthy of respect. So we're back over now to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. You should be able to see a difference in the way they live. Paul is more concerned what we see here with the content of their character than the exercise of their ministry. The second one is their spiritual life. They should have honest understanding. Honest understanding of God's word. He says they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, they must know the Bible well enough that they understand what it means and they're not confused about it. We're all going to have questions at times and that's okay, but they're working towards that understanding and in their faith they have a clear conscience and how they handle God's Word. The third qualification uh, of a deacon is that they should have moral purity. Moral purity proven by their life. Look at the first part of chapter or verse 10. They must first be tested. And any time uh, you all nominate deacons, deacons that are nominated then receive a form that they fill out that's very detailed about their life and practice and faith and testimony. And then they are interviewed Uh, one-on-one or two-on-one with other deacons. And then if they make it the next step, they get interviewed by the entire deacon body. And we test them in that. Notice verse 12. Verse 12 says, A deacon must be the husband of one wife and manage his children and household well. So uh, this moral purity. The fourth qualification of deacons is their Christian service. Their Christian service. And it should be evident before. The end of verse 10 says that if... There's nothing against them. Let them serve as deacons. It's been my privilege to be a part of nominating many new deacons since we've, I've been at Southview 12 years now. And the neat thing is that these guys we've nominated and then ordained as deacons, they were already deacons in the way they lived. They were already deacons in their character. It was just the rest of us recognizing it and say, we're going to lay hands on you and set you aside as a deacon because we already see that evidence in your life. And we expect to see that evidence continuing. We've got a great group of deacons, and I'm thankful for each and every one of them. The fifth qualification of deacons, not unlike pastors, is to have a healthy home. A healthy home, a positive example that the way their children, the way their spouse uh, relates to them and they relate one to another, that we ought to see that evidence. 
Now, not on your sermon outline, but not to be neglected is verse 11. We touched on it last week when we touched on the role of women because uh, Paul talked about that in specific. But verse 11 in my NIV 84 says, In the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. My belief is that that is not the best translation. If you read various translations of Scripture, you'll see that sometimes they translate a word this way, sometimes they translate it that way. And sometimes it's for a theological reason, sometimes it's for a social reason. And that's where it's helpful to read various English translations as well as get yourself a dependable Bible commentary or two where you can look more deeply. Because that word, the best understanding of that word translated wives there is actually why uh, women. That Greek word, as you spell it, is this word, G-Y-N-E. Does that look like the beginning of a word some ladies know? And it literally means woman. It does not mean wife. And so if you read it that way, in the same way women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. It's a shorter list, but it's a parallel list to the name uh, qualifications for men that are deacons. And then here's the other thing to note about that. In verse 2, in verse 8, in verse 11, three different places in this passage of Scripture, Paul uses a Greek word, husatos, which means in the same way or likewise. He does that each time he introduces a new list, a new person. So he says in verse 2, overseers, pastors, are to have these qualifications. He says in verse 8, Deacons, male deacons, are to have these qualifications. And he says, in my opinion, in verse 11, female deacons are to have these qualifications. That's what I believe this scripture to mean. You look in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 through 2, talks about Phoebe. And it may be translated as servant in your Bible, but it's the same word as deacon. In our church right now, we don't have any ladies that are ordained as deacons, but we do have ladies that in their character and in their service are just like a deacon. Amen? And I believe, and I will continue to stand by scripturally, that in our church, a woman can and should do any role she is called and equipped to do other than the authoritative role of pastor. Why? That goes back to last week, 1 Timothy 2.12, of having uh, that role in the hendiadus of teaching and authority, the role we recognize as elder, pastor. That's Women are excluded from that, I believe, but otherwise, I believe women can and should serve in every way, from teaching men as well as teaching children, from leading our worship, we've already got one that does that, praying, preaching, you name it. Women can and should do those things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as they're called by God. So let's ask one final question today. What new insight did I gain today? Well, maybe you learned that uh, if you go on visitation with Pastor Aaron, you should have your guns ready, right? Hopefully you learned something more important than that, that, you know, about the elder, overseer, pastor, are one and the same that the two offices uh, of, uh, that we recognize are pastor and deacon because they're both ordained and set aside that way. And that the roles of those persons are important, but their character is the most important. And that even with women, and especially consider this, women with godly character should be in roles in which they could serve the church using their giftedness. That may be a question you'd want to reflect on further 
and I hope you do. We're thankful that we are served by godly men and godly women in our church. And I'm thankful to be among them and to serve you. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we come before you today at this time of invitation, and we which, which we respond to what you've told us to, we realize that our sermon today was a bit on the academic side. Sometimes we've got to cover Scripture that we say, well, okay, that may be a bit dry. But it teaches us about how our church should behave and what we should do and what character, in this case, we should look for in the lives of folks that are called out to serve. So, Father, we pray now that as you have burdened us to respond to your message, that we would do that whether it's trusting Christ as Savior, repenting and turning from some sin, joining the church family, whatever it may be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with us? You notice we've got the Lord's table before us. You need to prepare your hearts and ask God to set you aside. And we'll sing one song of invitation, then we'll observe the Lord's Supper.